Welcome to the Chilean Sea Blob Podcast. In each episode, I'll share a previously published short fiction written by me, Theodore Carter. The stories will slither in and out of genre distinctions, but will consistently stay weird. Now, let's get started with today's story. Jesus Lizard The first messengers dispersed from the Lakeview Junior High bike racks promptly at 3 o'clock and carried the tale of Ralph Buckley's exploits to every corner of the city. A fleet of bicycles powered by strong, sinewy, 12-year-old legs zoomed along the wide suburban streets of Lakeview, California and spread the news in a pattern of concentric rings pedaling outward from the epicenter. Calf muscles relaxed when the children arrived at their respective homes by the hundreds, dropped their bikes on well-manicured front lawns, ran inside, and relayed the story of Ralph Buckley between gasps of air to unsuspecting parents like prepubescent apostles. Becky Schumacher arrived home at 3.15. Mom! Mom! Ralph Buckley walked on water, she said. By 3.30, most every Lakeview junior high parent had heard the news, and seeing how the event had so visibly shaken their children, felt the need for action. The overarching belief was that this incident was either the result of the Buckley's inadequate parenting or an act of negligence by Lakeview's principal. In either case, this business about the Buckley kid needed to be addressed quickly. Samuel Dubin, PTA president, penciled it in as an agenda item. Wanting more immediate action and fearing the bureaucracy of the PTA, Mrs. Schumacher, Becky's mom, called Pastor Smith at Lakeview Presbyterian. He urged her to remain calm. If Ralph could actually repeat this feat, if his abilities could be proven, then, said Pastor Smith, he would be able to make a more informed decision about what to do next. Mrs. Schumacher recognized this plan right away for what it was, a stalling tactic. That very night, Samuel Dubin wrote a scathing editorial questioning the moral fiber of the Lakeview public school system. It was the first editorial he'd written since attacking the teaching of evolution in science class. What has happened to the moral fiber of our community when children are allowed to mock Christian values and walk on water whenever they please, wrote Mr. Dubin. Across town, Mrs. Hotskings Hutchins, known throughout Lakeview as a hippie liberal troublemaker, wrote her own editorial. What has happened to the separation of church and state? Lakeview Junior High should not allow this kind of behavior. The Lakeview Telescope ran both letters Friday morning, but did not attempt to describe in an actual news article what had happened Thursday afternoon. Lakeview Mayor Malcolm Brown read about the event and decided it would be appropriate to make a brief statement from behind the press room lectern. While my office is taking this matter very seriously, we have not yet decided what action will be taken as a result of the events that transpired yesterday at Lakeview Junior High School, Brown said. That wasn't good enough for the Lakeview Telescope reporter. He wanted a quote with substance. To what events are you referring, Mayor Brown? He asked. I cannot comment on that at this time. For each of the past 15 school years, Miss Krasner had asked her 7th graders to prepare an oral report on their favorite animal during the first month of school. It was a time-tested assignment that allowed them to review their research skills, assert their individuality, and get to know their classmates. 
She'd smile to herself each year as she watched stuttering 12-year-olds enthusiastically but nervously describe black bears, ponies, elephants, snakes, lizards, and the occasional small rodent. She'd written the assignment last August in this year's doormat-sized planner. Now, I'll give you a few minutes to brainstorm and think of what animal you'd like to study, she told the class. Miss Krasner was a pro. She wasn't surprised when her classroom became enveloped in chatter. In fact, she thought it encouraging to see such enthusiasm in her students. This year's class was perhaps a bit gregarious, but it could be beneficial. She'd focus on group assignments, team building, and class discussions. Of course, a few of them were off-task already. Miss Krasner pretended not to notice as Becky and Laura began discussing the chewing gum stuck to the ceiling, dangling dangerously over the teacher's desk. On the other side of the room, Bobby, recognizing an opportune time to make spitballs, began tearing up strips of paper. Becky and Laura would write themselves soon, and Miss Krasner decided not to reprimand Bobby yet. She'd wait to see if he had the gumption to use his artillery. She noticed Ralph Buckley, the quiet, large-footed boy, walking swiftly toward the bookshelf as though fearing a mad rush for the encyclopedias. He grabbed the B volume. Bobby launched two spitballs in Ralph's direction, forcing Miss Krasner to take Bobby into the hallway for what would be the first of many stern talks. Ralph felt Bobby's spitball bounce against the back of his head, but decided the incident was inconsequential and brushed his hair with his hand. Ralph had anticipated this assignment and had secretly chosen a topic over the summer. He eagerly flipped through the B volume until he found his entry. Basilisk Lizard Found mostly in the jungle climate of Central America, the basilisk lizard is one of nature's most intriguing reptiles. It is often called the Jesus Lizard because of its ability to run upright on hind legs across the surface of the water. He held the encyclopedia close to his chest and felt the titillating nervousness that comes with hoarding a wonderful secret. Beside the text was a picture of the basilisk lizard caught on high-speed film as it ran across a small pond. Splashes of water had been frozen on film. The lizard's head tilted toward the sky. Its thin, sleek body leaned forward and its arms and legs splayed in opposite directions. There was no other animal like this. This was the Jesus lizard. Ralph prayed it would be his personal savior from seventh grade academic stagnation. Everyone, including Ralph, knew he often took school assignments too far. When asked to draw a picture of his favorite animal in third grade, Ralph had spent three weeks painting a giraffe in the pointillism style of Seurat. In fifth grade, he was asked to write an essay on a famous scientist. Ralph had started a pen pal relationship with a Nobel Prize winning physicist at the University of Michigan. Ralph's overzealous academic achievement unfailingly spawned resentment from his classmates. Months after Ralph's walk on water, while lining up for recess, Bobby said to Laura, Ralph, that fucking pansy, why can't that little shit just do the assignments the way everyone else does? Expressing his exultation at the new freedoms of junior high, Bobby was perfecting his use of expletives. Yeah, Laura agreed. Ralph's scholastic enthusiasm would have been more easily tolerated if he'd allowed others to write him off as a bookworm, but he didn't really fit the description. Although shy, four foot eleven, and years away from puberty, Ralph was a bit of a looker on the seventh grade scene. 
His tanned skin was a striking contrast to his pale blue eyes. Becky was especially fond of Ralph. He looks like a young Paul Newman, Becky said to Laura once in English class. Becky didn't know who Paul Newman was aside from his salad dressing picture, but it was a compliment she'd heard her mother bestow upon good-looking men. Anyone other than Becky would have begun a description of Ralph with his feet. While Ralph stood less than five feet tall, he wore a robust size 17 sneaker. This could have been a cause for constant teasing, but Mrs. Buckley made it a point to buy Ralph the coolest new Nike Air basketball shoes. Instead of Ralph, the kid with the big feet, he was Ralph, the kid with the cool shoes, who also had big feet. Ralph did endure the occasional taunting, but name-calling often digressed into admiration of his tremendous footwear. Between his handsome appearance and cool shoes, it was difficult for Ralph's classmates to label him as a junior high nerd. Also, no matter how hard they tried to believe otherwise, it was obvious Ralph wasn't trying to show off with his scholarly achievements. He just liked school. This duality within Ralph was his central dilemma. He was a tortured academic who knew that with each new discovery, he was removing himself further from his peers. Just as the church placed Galileo under house arrest, Ralph was forced to the fringe of the junior high social scene because of his pursuit of knowledge. Still, he pushed onward and exceeded expectations for every assignment. If Becky Schumacher were to borrow more language from her mom in describing Ralph, she might have mentioned Ralph's James Dean-like allure, a reference to the tortured psychological paradox brewing within Ralph. He was a man of intrigue, of sexy vulnerabilities. Unwittingly, Miss Krasner had set Ralph on a course for another academic mania. The day after receiving Miss Krasner's assignment, Ralph checked out every library book he could locate on the obscure reptile. His real find was a National Geographic video he wore thin by continuously rewinding the slow motion sequence of the Jesus lizard running effortlessly over the water. Standing in his living room, Ralph would imitate the slow motion video. His mother often walked by on her way to the kitchen and would glimpse Ralph trapped in a painfully slow cycle of motion, lifting his legs and feet high into the air and placing them carefully down again. Concerned about her son's self-induced ostracism, Mrs. Buckley tried one day to politely interrupt his research. Ralph, would you like a snack? Mom, I'm doing my homework. Mrs. Buckley lingered a moment and watched her son slowly lift his legs his large Nikes moving toward his chest, and wondered how she had raised a son so out of touch with boys his own age. Perhaps she should consult a child psychologist, or maybe Ralph simply needed more quality time with his workaholic father. If neither remedy worked, she would sign him up for Pop Warner football or Little League next year, whether he liked it or not. She had to save him somehow. Ralph's favorite part of the video came when the narrator in a deep, authoritative voice said, In order for a human to duplicate this feat, he would have to lift his knees to his chest 40 times a second, not to mention the need for webbed feet with a large surface area. Ralph viewed this statement as informative encouragement, not a proclamation of impossibility. Two weeks into his research, Ralph's report on the basilisk lizard evolved into a study of physiology and rigorous athletic training. After analyzing various muscle groups and movements, Ralph designed an exercise routine. 
jump rope and boxing drills for quickness, and yoga for flexibility. Of course, physical training only began after Ralph knew for sure that his body was capable of mimicking the movements of the basilisk lizard, an exchange of letters with the Nobel Prize-winning scientist from Michigan told Ralph he was at his physical peak for such an unlikely undertaking. Skinny, prepubescent, and almost 65% legs, Ralph's body was perfect. His fast-twitch muscles were primed and his joints had not yet grown rigid. Never again would his speed and strength be in such perfect proportion with his minute mass. Ralph, this is tricky business you are about to embark upon, but this scientist is behind you. Good luck, wrote his pen pal. His ludicrously large feet would also prove beneficial. How many times had he heard people refer to his feet as water skis? The put-down now reverberated in Ralph's head as a declaration of his physical assets. His built-in pontoons were a Darwinian advantage far surpassing the basilisk lizard's mere webbed toes. Yes, his feet were large. Yes, they were buoyant. And yes, Ralph believed that he could run on water. The evidence was overwhelmingly in his favor. He would have liked to have made a practice run, but the public pools had closed at summer's end and Ralph feared the private swim clubs would not look kindly upon his unique use of their facilities. The due date snuck up on him, and on October 22nd, Ralph knew that even if he wanted to change his mind, it was too late. The note cards had been written out and his speech prepared. His research and athletic training had pushed him toward one single culminating event. There was also the matter of having begged Miss Krasner for permission to deliver his oral report poolside. Sometime long ago, without even noticing, Ralph had passed the point of no return. Still, somewhere deep beyond the reaches of his consciousness, Ralph had known all along that his research was leading him towards certain humiliation. It was only through practiced ignorance that Ralph could allow himself to bring his discoveries to others and ignore the likely ramifications. He was committing social suicide for the sake of science. The Santa Ana winds whipped through Lakeview that day. Gusts rattled the chain-link fence surrounding the pool and churned up small white caps in the water. Ralph had to shout so his classmates could hear him. He started with, The basilisk lizard grows to an average length of four to six inches. It lives in Central America and eats bugs. He fumbled with his note cards, careful not to let them blow away. Nerves caused his voice to waver and he stammered through his presentation. Some people call it the Jesus lizard because it can, it can, he turned to his next note card, use its web feet to run across the surface of the water. The hard eyes of his 12-year-old peers began to pierce his fragile ego. In the back of his mind, he kept repeating to himself, habitat, home, diet, and description. Habitat, home, diet, and description. He wanted to be sure he didn't leave anything out. It would be tragic to squander weeks of preparation with a bad presentation. In front of the mass of students stood Becky Schumacher. Her furrowed brow had the dual effect of comforting Ralph and also exacerbating his apprehension. Ralph couldn't help but think of the note she had passed to him through Laura two days before. Do you like me? Yes or no? Becky's beauty was unnerving. Her wide blue eyes watched Ralph in a way he would only begin to comprehend months later. 
Wisps of blonde hair escaped her ponytail and moved in the heavy wind like rays of sunlight. Ralph stared back at her and continued his presentation, but his brain was elsewhere. Another accidental shift of his gaze brought Ralph's attention to Bobby, who stared at him with a look conveying both confusion and annoyance, emotions Ralph was certain Bobby would later express with violence. He noticed Miss Krasner watching him with eyes that seemed to say, Why the heck do we have to be outside for this, Ralph? Then, suddenly, Ralph found himself reading the tail end of his last note card. Like a drunk scared into sobriety, Ralph recited his final planned sentence. Now, I would like to demonstrate to the class how the basilisk lizard can run on top of the water. After pausing briefly in an effort to comprehend the seriousness of his own words, Ralph kicked off his enormous size 17 shoes, took off his shirt, and removed his Lakeview PE sweatpants to reveal a tiny red Speedo. His classmates giggled. Even Becky Schumacher was laughing a bit. What a fag, he heard Bobby say. Miss Krasner yelled out, Ralph, what are you doing? Ralph tried to ignore them. He tried to ignore the cold, the wind, and his shrinking genitalia as he stretched his legs by the side of the pool. But he could tell his audience was restless, especially Miss Krasner, so he cut his preparations short. Ralph knew such performances were mental anyway. His prior training would allow him to overcome the physical constraints. It came down to pure concentration. Ralph stood about 10 feet from the water's edge and focused on the fall leaves floating calmly on the pool's surface. He blocked out the jeers of his classmates and checked the string of his speedo. He sprinted toward the water with his knees pumping high under his chin. Cycles, not force, thought Ralph as he increased his legs speed and after just a few stylized steps on hard ground, Ralph's enormous left foot smacked the surface of the water. Then his right foot hit and he was on his way, plunging and pushing, his success wholly reliant upon one professor's calculations of water density. He pumped his knees high, sending great splashes into the air until he reached the opposite end of the pool and was separated from his wide-eyed classmates by 25 meters of sloshing, chlorinated water. Cool, exclaimed love-struck Becky. Oh my God, what a nerd, Laura whispered, still unable to believe Ralph had worn a Speedo to school. She hadn't yet comprehended the significance of Ralph's stunt. Miss Krasner, who many would later say should have been cognizant of the fact that she was leading by example, stood dumbfounded and stared across the choppy waters at Ralph. She uttered her careless reaction quietly, but audibly enough to reverberate through the thirsty minds of her disciples. Lord, help me. That boy can walk on water. Although Miss Krasner's words didn't really fit what the class had seen Ralph do, the students nevertheless adopted her walk-on-water rhetoric. They'd been trained since kindergarten to follow their teacher with blind faith. Besides, Miss Krasner's words sounded important and all the students knew they'd just seen something important. Many would later blame Miss Krasner for starting the whole holy mess. She privately agreed that her initial reaction had fueled the hysteria surrounding Ralph's performance. During her years of teaching, Miss Krasner had learned to become a master of benevolent description. She had artfully avoided student questions related to religion, sex, and politics on an almost daily basis for 15 years. 
She was a master of skillfully incomplete answers and intentionally vague statements. She should have been able to handle Ralph's report. Thank you, Ralph, who's next? Or, most impressive, now let's return to the classroom. Almost anything else would have been fine. The only possible rationale Miss Krasner could devise to defend her outburst was her Catholic school education and her college English professors, who always taught her to search for symbolic meaning. This time, Ralph's academic achievement did more than simply create resentment among his peers. It created unrest throughout the whole town. If Miss Krasner had sown the seeds of controversy, then certainly Samuel Dubin, Mrs. Schumacher, Mrs. Hoskins Hutchins, Pastor Smith, and Mayor Brown helped provide the manure and daily watering. Suddenly, everyone had to decide what exactly it meant when a 12-year-old boy ran across water. Initial confusion allowed for some ambiguity regarding one's position on the subject, but with the passage of time, each member of the Lakeview community was forced to define his or her own stance on the issue. Some willingly accepted Ralph Buckley as a 21st century god. Others blamed physics. Most, however, tried hard to remain somewhere in the middle. They spoke well of Ralph just in case he was part of something larger, but they did not openly embrace his deification. Pockets of true believers called the radio talk shows to tout their preteen messiah and waited outside Ralph's house to catch a glimpse of him riding his bike to school. Of course, there were also those who were opposed to Ralph in every way. They wanted him in juvenile hall and accused him of atrocities ranging from drug use to devil worship. Both of these factions were small in number, but they did a lot to make tentative onlookers uneasy about their relationship to Ralph. Despite the heavy impact of Ralph's report on the community, it was Ralph's life that really changed, especially at school. Miss Krasner was far from being a believer in Ralph's sanctity. She'd seen Ralph wipe his runny nose on his sweatshirt and trip over his enormous sneakers too many times. Still, she could not get over the memory of watching him run across the school swimming pool. She was afraid to discount the possibility altogether. Her position was further complicated by the fact that, between the hours of 8 a.m. and 3 p.m., she was expected to treat Ralph in a manner acceptable to all of Lakeview's residents. Her job had become a political landmine. As a result, Miss Krasner made an effort to ignore Ralph as often as possible. This meant a number of changes in classroom procedure. After October 22nd, Ralph no longer had to take spelling tests. While the rest of the class chewed their number two pencils nervously and tried to remember the saying about where to place their I's and E's, Ralph leisurely perused the encyclopedias. The same was true during math tests. What would happen if Miss Krasner were to give Ralph a question he couldn't answer? Would the whole town think Miss Krasner a heathen? Would the dictionary have to be rewritten according to Ralph's incorrect spelling? These were the questions, ridiculous or not, that Miss Krasner sought to avoid. Mrs. Schumacher made things even worse when she stood up at a PTA meeting and said, Who is Miss Krasner to be instilling values in Ralph Buckley, the boy who can walk on water? Miss Krasner then adjusted her entire classroom instruction so that lessons consisted only of math, spelling, and grammar. Rules were safe, but ideas, thoughts, and dialogue were too risky. 
The community's reaction to Ralph's report on the basilisk lizard made him even more of a loner. He did enjoy a brief star status among his peers for getting into the newspaper, and they generally admired the way he sent their parents into hysterics, but his popularity faded quickly. Many of his classmates were told by their parents to stay away from Ralph. Those who hadn't been explicitly instructed to avoid Ralph did so de facto because their friends had been ordered to ignore him. The logic was, whether God or heathen, Ralph was a troublemaker. Ralph's middle school persona was redefined by rumors traded at the snack bar, notes passed in class, and discussions during basketball practice. He became a mythological being who was both feared and admired, but hardly anyone ever spoke to him. By January, when he walked down the halls, groups of children would cease their conversations. Bobby, who blasted parental advisory music through his headphones loud enough for everyone to hear, turned the volume down when Ralph was around. At lunchtime, no one wanted to sit with him for fear of appearing gluttonous while scarfing down Twinkies and Jello cups. The only kid who regularly said hello to Ralph was Stephanie Jenkins, a preacher's daughter. Every day, she placed a small offering of an Oreo on his cafeteria tray before moving on to another table. Ralph found this type of treatment unbearable. The ridicule he'd grown accustomed to would have been preferable. He moved through the school hallways like a heavy-footed ghost, and by spring, Ralph decided his only hope at restoring normalcy was to push Miss Krasner into revoking her special Ralph Buckley policies through brutish guerrilla tactics. He didn't enjoy disrupting class. In fact, he found it absurd, but it was the only plan he could devise to force Miss Krasner into acknowledging his existence. Having taken note of Bobby's repertoire of ruckus-rousing techniques, Ralph fired spitballs at Miss Krasner during the next math test. She sat unfazed at her desk, concentrating on marking the papers in front of her with a red pen. Ralph watched dumbfounded and imagined the internal struggle brewing within Miss Krasner as she refrained from verbalizing an authoritative ejaculation. Next, upping the stakes a bit, Ralph took a sharpie from Miss Krasner's desktop and began scribbling on the blackboard. Krasner is a crotchety old crow, he wrote. Ralph was not one to scribble graffiti without careful planning. His statement was meant to offend Miss Krasner on several levels. First, it debased Miss Krasner's character in a rather pedestrian way. Secondly, the misspellings were intended to jab deep into Miss Krasner's teacherly instincts, making it almost painful for her to keep from correcting the written statement. Replacing C's with K's was a trademark of street gangs rivaling the LA Crips. Miss Krasner could have assumed Ralph needed a teacher's help to avoid a life of gang involvement. Ralph anticipated that perhaps the most worrisome aspect of his graffiti in Miss Krasner's mind would be the three capital letter K's easily interpreted as a reference to white supremacy. Lastly, and on the most immature and age-appropriate level, the word crotchety is very similar to the word crotch. Everyone knew it was unacceptable to discuss a teacher's crotch. Ralph was certain the statement would force Miss Krasner to act. Nothing. Miss Krasner looked at his scrawl, then returned her gaze to her papers. A couple of children looked up sheepishly from their math tests, but that was all. Becky Schumacher flashed him a radiant, devilish smile, showing how clever she thought he was to dream up such destructive vandalism. But Becky's grin was a shallow victory. Though he liked to think otherwise, he doubted Becky recognized anything but the most basic maliciousness in his graffiti. 
Miss Krasner was apparently impenetrable. Ralph turned his attention to Bobby. After returning to his seat, Ralph threw paper wads and shot rubber bands at the back of Bobby's head. No reaction. Months earlier, a sideways look would have earned Ralph a few ugly bruises. Ralph turned to the heavy artillery, combining the rubber band launching device with carefully sculpted paper clips. The first shot was a bullseye right in the back of Bobby's big head. With the sting of the aluminum paper clips still fresh on his scalp, Bobby, red-faced and stern-lipped, rose from his seat. He took one fierce step toward Ralph's desk before Stephanie reached out from hers and grabbed Bobby's hand. Don't! It's a test of faith! Bobby looked down at her, and his angry expression melted into a look of powerlessness. He retreated to his desk. Ralph knew it was useless. If he was unable to spur Bobby Gunn into action, then nothing could be done. He was destined to live out his time in Lakeview as an outcast, cut off from communication with anyone other than his parents, who still ordered him to finish his broccoli and clean his room. It was pointless to try to interact with people at recess, and time spent in the classroom was even worse. Ralph hit rock bottom. He had no friends and had been even robbed of the schoolwork he loved so much. His only companions now were his library card and his freakishly large Nike basketball shoes. Even his bike ride to school had been ruined by crazy devotees who lined Pine Road and knelt as he rode past. The only thing for Ralph to do was to count down the 43 days until summer vacation. At the end of May, just when Ralph thought he was all but free from the constraints of seventh grade, Miss Krasner called him over to her desk for the first time since October 22nd. He scurried over quickly, delighted at the prospect of holding a face-to-face -face conversation at school, acting on orders from Principal Haley, who many PTA members accused of spending entirely too much time at church. Miss Krasner said, Ralph, now this is up to you, but Principal Haley thought, if it's okay with you, we thought maybe you could do what you did during your oral report as part of the eighth grade graduation ceremony. Ralph gave a blank stare. The excitement of just being at the teacher's desk and talking to Miss Krasner overwhelmed him. We could have graduation by the lake this year, and after you finish, you could say a few words, only if you want to. Flattered that Miss Krasner had broken her silence toward him, Ralph agreed. I think I can still do that. I bet my mom will buy me a new Speedo, too, he said. Miss Krasner easily recognized Ralph's desperate need for attention and couldn't help but feel tremendously guilty. She decided not to tell him this was part of a fundraising scheme. Expecting big crowds for Ralph, Principal Haley was planning on passing around a collection box during the graduation ceremony to bolster his state-funded budget. Miss Krasner watched Ralph turn from her desk and walk out the door with a bounding gait. Ralph's initial enthusiasm for the upcoming performance quickly eroded into regret for entering into the agreement. On his bike ride home, he thought, isn't this how this whole mess started? He had been asked to perform again many times since his report. Channel 4 News had wanted an exclusive. Pastor Smith had wanted a private show. Ralph refused both times, knowing he would only invite more problems. Why now for Miss Krasner? It was nonsensical. Still, Ralph knew he would go through with it. October 22nd was the last time anyone had noticed him. They had watched in awe. And, although Ralph had become even more of an outcast, 
there had been that one tremendous moment when he traveled across the water and everyone watched. Maybe this was the only remaining way he could interact with people as a performer before an audience. If he was doomed to exist in Lakeview in a position somewhere in between a mortal and a deity, then maybe he should just learn how to behave in that role. He would do it again for the eighth grade graduation ceremony. He would watch the National Geographic video, buy a new Speedo, and do it again. On June 14th, the crowd watched as Ralph went through a very careful and deliberate stretching regimen on the rocky beach, pulling one knee to his chest, then the other. The eighth graders, foreign to Ralph, sat in their best attire, and behind them, masses of parents and curious onlookers perched on tiered bleachers. At his mother's insistence, Ralph ditched the red Speedo for a black, full-body wetsuit. Mrs. Buckley felt it was more appropriate for such a formal occasion, and Ralph grew to like the way its sheen gave him the resemblance of an actual basilisk lizard. He practiced rotating his hip in and out and swirling his leg in a circular motion. Each toe had to be flexed and massaged. He'd never had so many people watching him before. It wasn't just the usual graduation crowd of parents this year. Most everyone in Lakeview had come, and Ralph knew it was because they wanted to see for themselves what they'd heard had happened last fall. Principal Haley stood at the lectern in front of the crowd. To kick off graduation this year, Ralph Buckley will perform the opening ceremony. Even as Principal Haley spoke, everyone watched Ralph. He tried hard to ignore the familiar faces in the crowd, but he saw them. PTA President Samuel Dubin, Pastor Smith, Chuck Stiltz, the Pop Warner coach, Miss Krasner, and Leslie Noreen from Channel 4 News. There's a good number of out-of-state plates in the lot, he heard an overweight woman say. Working to ignore the spectators, Ralph contorted his boyish features into a scowl of concentration. Physics, water density, surface tension, and the basilisk lizard were all Ralph wanted in his mind. He backed up to where the rocky beach met the dry grass and stared hard at the water. With a violent exultation, Ralph sprinted towards the lake, his legs moving like jackhammers, knees scraping the bottom of his chin. The water did not stop him. He ran straight across the lake, pushing down with his grotesquely large feet, then pulling them up again quickly before the water had time to close in around them. Forty times a second, his feet pummeled the water's surface and propelled Ralph across the lake in a mode of travel unknown to humankind before October 22nd. The water splashed around him as he struggled with each step to push himself up and forward toward the opposite end of the lake. He focused on a tall redwood tree in the distance, watching it grow closer and closer. Just a bit farther, Ralph, he tried not to think about the eyes staring at his back, watching him become smaller and smaller until he was just a little more than a speck of splashing water. Then, 20 feet from the bank, he began to feel the bottom of the lake with every plunging stride. Then, more soil, and he knew he was there. The water was shallow, too shallow to continue. Ralph had made it across. His chest heaved with exhaustion, and he felt the air burn in his lungs. His feet, immersed still felt hot from slapping the surface of the lake. He moved slowly out of the water and collapsed face down on the rocky beach. Sweet mother of mercy, someone yelled from the opposite bank. 
Then he heard a muffled jabbering drift over the still water. His face buried among the small rocks, Ralph smelled the fallen pine needles and dry stones and wondered why he'd done it. Things would be hell from now on, even worse than before. He lifted his chin off the stones and looked into the empty redwood forest, wishing he could just walk into the vegetation. He didn't think he could ever bear returning to the other side of the lake. The water chilled his skin. Why do I do these things? Again, the answer came. He had to show that he could do it, that it could be done. He had to prove the narrator of the National Geographic video wrong. He wanted to show his mom that just because he hated Pop Warner football didn't mean there was anything wrong with him. It was physics, Seurat, National Geographic, engineering, and his big feet that influenced him most. But now, lying cold and shivering on the rocky shore of the lake, afraid to look back at the spectators, Ralph felt utterly alone. Just as Becky had missed the complex depth of his graffiti, Lakeview had failed to recognize the significance of his report on the basilisk lizard. Seventh grade had been tough, but Ralph tried to remember what his mother had told him. You are just going through an awkward stage right now. That happens to a lot of kids your age. He knew she was right. Soon he would grow into his feet and wouldn't be able to run on water, even if he wanted to. His pen pal had told him as much. His fast switch muscles would develop during puberty, leaving him bulky and grounded. His feet would be of normal proportion to his grown body. That would be the end of it. And perhaps with the passage of time, people would forget even something as monumental as someone walking on water. But hadn't third grade been rough too? Fifth grade was no picnic either. Ralph knew he would never imitate the basilisk lizard again, but there would be other assignments, and he would feel compelled to complete those to the fullest extent. He heard Principal Haley speaking loudly through his microphone. Ralph, there is a podium set up on your side of the lake. When you have gathered yourself, perhaps you could say a few words to our graduating class. Ralph slowly brought himself to his hands and knees, lifted his head, and found the podium. He rose to his feet and stood in front of the microphone, staring at the masses of onlookers across the water. He was glad they were so far away. They couldn't see the heavy tears on his cheeks. He was overcome with exhaustion and emotional distress. Standing at the mic, he forgot what he had prepared to say, Congratulations, 8th graders, and remembered only a line from his oral report on the basilisk lizard. The basilisk lizard can only run 10 to 20 meters on the surface of the water, before sinking. It is much better suited for life on land. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's story. If you did, please leave a rating and a review. Also, please tell a friend directly. Personal recommendations help a lot. My main goal with this podcast is to grow an audience for future work and it'd be great to connect with more odd people who like strange art. I'd love to connect on social media. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at TheodoreCarter2 or on Facebook with the handle at ChileanCBlob. This story and other stories in this podcast are part of my book, The Life Story of a Chilean Sea Blob and Other Matters of Importance. The book is available wherever books are sold online, and you can find links to all of my books on my website, TheodoreCarter.com. You can also find other things there like videos of me making a giant cement eyeball 
or turning traffic boxes into robots. Music from this podcast comes from TMI Management, tmimgmt.com. Thanks again for being here, and I hope you come again.